Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to the Net Worth Podcast, where today we're going to talk all things NBA. That's right, folks, it's really happening. Nothing bad has happened, spread. The bubble hasn't popped. No one's girlfriend has come in and ruined it. We had a few people leave for various reasons, but it seems to be okay. Are, are you as optimistic as I, spread? We've got three days left. Can we make it? I tell you, Noobs, I'm already. I've been avoiding any trips to Magic City to make sure that I'm ready for the event, and uh, <laughs> I can't wait for Thursday night. Now, you heard another chuckle there, folks. That's our good friend, um, his second appearance here on the Networth Pod to talk NBA. You may know him as Whale Capper. You may know him as Drew Dinsick. Drew, how's it going, bud? Oh, guys, the Networth Pod is my favorite NBA handicapping pod out, and it's not even close. Uh, so thrilled to be back. Uh, and I got to tell you, if you haven't already listened to the uh, the bubble preview you guys did, that is very worthy listening for uh, kind of chewing through some of the key aspects that you got to have in mind. And uh, I can only imagine now that we've seen some preseason action, uh, we're going to be able to put an even finer point on this. And for anybody that's looking for a podcast host who can pay to say nice things immediately when he starts, Drew is a great <laughs> guest. Um, but we're happy to have you on to talk about the NBA. It's great to have it around. Um, we know we've got you for about 40 minutes here, so we wanted to start off by getting your thoughts on some of these preseason games. I know that you've been betting them. We've been chatting about some of them. I know some of our early looks were to uh, um, unders. We were trying to find value maybe in the 10 minutes versus 12 minutes. But overall, you know, Drew, what have you learned from these couple um, days of betting preseason games? Well, I can tell you that, number one, it's been a joy to watch. Um, it's crazy how much I missed this. Uh, and just having it back and being able to uh, take part in betting and, and watching and, and you know, in, enjoying the NBA again has been a huge Huge plus EV as far as a life decision, you know, life life enjoyment kind of thing. Um, so and and honestly, I didn't my the bar was very low in terms of my expectations for both, uh, you know, the bubble in general and the preseason games especially. Like I didn't expect much, um, but I thought that the quality of play, the level of intensity, the number of minutes we saw the stars play, all of that exceeded my expectations by a mile. Um, it's totally normal and fine to watch these guys play in an empty gym. It's totally, uh, you know, the, the competitive um, juices are flowing. You know, these guys obviously are taking this very seriously. Um, and I almost feel like the, you know, the fact that they've given up so much of their life outside of this specific experiment has upped their commitment and their intensity a little bit, if that's even possible. Um, and so... You know, I've gone from, eh, this is a fine, maybe it'll be fun, who knows, uh, to actually legitimately very excited about this now. Yeah, Nick Noops are still muted, but uh, I agree, man. I was really surprised at how much uh, it didn't seem like they've taken two to three months off. Uh, there was a lot of continuity. It seemed like the teams that were playing well going into the shutdown seemed to start right back up, and... Uh, most of the players seem to be in pretty good condition here, um, which actually makes my approach towards the handicapping a little more confident because it <laughs> yeah. uh, feels like the information that we gain during the season is going to be more relevant than, than I, fe you know, I had feared that it might not be. But I think that uh, the model might still be ready to go. I was going to completely not use it, but I think it might still be valid. And uh, I think a lot of these players are, are a lot right where they were right when the shutdown happened. 
Yeah, it's interesting to see with some of the teams how healthy and, and good some of these guys look. Um, you know, early on, I know we talked about looking at some unders. I mean, one of the thoughts that I had was similar to the first round of the NCAA tournament, there'd be, you know, some period for them to try to get used to that gym. But right away, everybody seems to be making all their shots. Everybody looks good. The level of effort seems to be really, really high. Um, now, in terms of information flow, I actually thought it's been pretty good um, in terms of finding out who's playing. So far, there hasn't been too much gamesmanship, if you will, in terms of rosters. Would you guys agree with that? I would. And I would also go even a further step and say that you basically the entire handicap of all these preseason games so far has been information based. And I'm guessing that the the eight game restart is going to be the same way. Um, You know, it's going to be pretty important to find out who's getting at, you know, who's getting rest because, you know, even though the level of intensity is high and the players are committed, you know, I still think uh, there's going to be organizational attempts to try to save some, you know, try to, you know, you you, you want to get your guys intact across the finish line. You don't want to have, um, you know, Anthony Davis go down with, uh, you know, a bruised uh, pinky uh, here and have to miss, you know, an entire He's series. out with an eyeball but, uh, today. So, out, and out with an eyeball, yeah. Eye, eye discomfort? Yeah, okay, sure. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, I, I think you want to get your guys healthy into the playoffs and, um, so to some degree, we may see some of the coaches with not, with, without much to play for in terms of seeding. Um, you know, uh, as we after we get a couple of uh, you know a couple of games playing at full strength, we may, may start to see that information makes kind of the difference in the handicap with a lot of these games as we round out the season. Yeah, Spread, what have you, have you seen? Any big surprises from you? Any big moves or anything? Or, or have you been pretty much seeing the lines move as you see information come? Yeah, no, like I, like I just said, I, my main surprise was just um, how seamless it's been and how much it doesn't look like these guys took two months off. Uh, I thought the shooting might be a little off. I thought um, the defensive intensity might be lacking. Uh, but these guys are jumping right back in. A um, lot cleaner than we'll see maybe in some of the training, cramps, training camp scrimmages um, at the beginning of a, of a regular offseason. So it uh, could be the fact that there weren't a lot of places to party during the shutdown um, good could, could be prevented everybody <laughs> yeah, does look like they're in shape so what yeah. I was wondering based on that I mean normally we talk about you know trying to go after closing value making sure that you're betting into numbers as early as possible before you know all the smart people in the market get a chance to beat the numbers up um, you know what do you guys think about the idea of maybe going forward kind of waiting frankly not really trying to attack openers wait to see what some of this information looks like wait to see kind of how the line forms are you guys, um, and I'll start with you, Spread, are you going to be approaching things any differently in terms of trying to attack early numbers versus maybe waiting a little bit more t- towards close or, you know, till we get some good information about lineups? Yeah, I think I waited more than most everybody. Unless my model had like a three-point difference, I didn't really try to hit the opener um, just because I just wanted to use the extra time uh, to gain information for myself before I made the play. And I figure worst-case scenario when you wait is you're not able to say I miss the number and then I just don't put a bet down. Um, so it's a missed opportunity rather than me actually losing money if I go early and then it turns out Anthony Davis hurt his eyeball or whatever is going on. So um, I think that my approach is, as far as that will be the same. Um, if the model says it lines three points off, I'll hit it pretty close to blindly. Uh, other than that, I'll probably be waiting to pretty close to a game time. Although we do have the advantage now that there's the new rules um, that state that they need to give us at least what? five hours before they do a scratch so there should be no scratches there should be no more late game scratches at least during the bubble time 
Yeah, that would be great. What do you think, Drew? Are you going to be less worried about CLV? Yeah, no, no, no. I think I think uh, there's a specific approach you have to take, and some of it comes down to what Spread mentioned about the you know information will be locked in. There's not likely to be last minute surprises, um, and kind of the process that I got into trying to get myself back in shape, so to speak, from a handicapping perspective, um, was going through and combing through the kind of the team beat reporters. Uh, looking specifically for comments from the head coach because you know the head coach is going to put him if he puts him once he puts something on record as like this is going to be my approach today then the likelihood it's going to suddenly change or be a surprise or somebody doesn't feel great and shoot around therefore you know that it's going to change you know I, I think you can operate with a little bit higher confidence that um you know that you know what you're going to get uh, if you can get you know comments from frank vogel I, you know i'm going to rest my starters in the second half game right like I mean, once he's on record you know um the trick is finding that in a timely manner um and so i've been doing my best to figure out which twitter accounts uh come out with the most you know the the fastest information on that put them all on a list and have the alerts turned on so uh you know you get the you know the notification as soon as they tweet uh and if it's somebody meaningful i kind of have already thought through in my head well what would be a reasonable adjustment is this going to affect the side or the total or both you know like what's the what is the number of points value for this player i think you have to kind of have all of your homework done uh and be ready to act um pretty uh, pretty aggressively uh, if it manifests an edge for you yeah that's a really interesting comment i was going to ask you about that um you know have you started i know that you're a big model guy you're a big numbers based handicapper when it comes to basketball um how do you approach injuries and, and player movements like that in terms of spreads and totals? I think that in terms of the market, there's a pretty good understanding, you know, player X is worth Y points to the spread, but the total is really interesting. We've seen in some of these preseason games, you'll see some names come out, and instead of the spread moving, you know, you maybe go from like a minus four to minus two. The total, though, will drop five, six, maybe even more points than that. So. Um, you know, well, what do you think about that when you start to look at some of these player moves and how do you try to attack that? Yeah, so the key to unlocking the total, um, the impact on the total, really, in my opinion, is, you know, any, really, and this goes even beyond just an injury, but like you really want to have some understanding of what the pace is going to be, right? And you can do a pretty decent job of figuring out how a given player influences the pace by looking at the on off statistics for that given team. Uh, and you can figure out pretty quickly, okay, well, the pace, you know, if, if it's a guy like, uh, you know, Embiid, who doesn't have the ball in his hands as often, uh, then, you know, you're not necessarily expecting a big swing, but it's still useful to look at that sort of stuff. Um, and if it's a guy with the ball in his hand, then you can kind of, uh, you know, pretty quickly figure out like, okay, this guy, when he's on the floor, their offense is operating 15% faster or whatever, you know, that's obviously going to have huge impact on the number of possessions in the game and the total that they can even get to. Um, and, you know, you can make adjustments kind of qualitatively or in a relative sense, uh, if you kind of know what the impact in terms of on off for the team is. Um, and then beyond that, even uh, if you can look at the relative impact on off for say offensive and defensive efficiency, you might find out like, you know, this was kind of the case with Carl Anthony Towns this year. Um, you know, when he was on the floor, he was an offensive efficiency masterpiece for the, the Timberwolves, and he was a defensive disaster. Um, <laughs> and so you take him out of the lineup on a given night, and it impacted the total 
on both sides, <laughs> you know? So you had a kind of a double impact there. And it didn't have to do with pace. It was all just in terms of, uh, you know, his replacement player for the Timberwolves had a, you know, had a higher defensive efficiency contribution and a much lower offensive efficiency contribution. So there was a big swing there in the total that you didn't necessarily see with, uh, you know, didn't didn't manifest as much inside. So um, on-off is a great way of evaluating that sort of thing. And I'm almost always looking relative, like, okay, the team in general does this uh, when he's on, are they about their average or are they higher, you know, faster, slower, more efficient, less efficient? And then from that, you can kind of make a, an appropriate percentage contribution uh, adjustment to, uh, to whatever model value you have. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's a good way to approach it. Spread, do you do any kind of work like that, trying to go through and categorize um, players in terms of their impact? I know that you look at a lot of spreads, I think, more so than totals, but how do you take a look at that stuff? Yeah, and I was venturing into the total market a little more right before the shutdown and actually having um, some modicum of success. I remember I was talking to you about middling them um, because I found there was a huge inefficiency on the market on um, the live lines overreacting um, to either incredibly hot or incredibly uh, cold first quarters by both teams. Um, So, yeah, the basic way I'm looking at, you know, obviously uh, Drew made a good point there. Uh, something different I would look at is yeah, just the way that the players affect pace. He was talking about um, defensive rating, um, you know, going up and down, like with the Towns example, um, and but also trying to guess the ways that they affect pace. Now, remember, I wasn't the best at it because I do remember uh, using Embiid as another example. Um, when he went out, I expected the pace of that Philadelphia team to go up, and it didn't really seem to be that way. So sometimes we can make assumptions about a player and their effects on, uh, on the offense or the pace of the game that are incorrect. Um, but for the most part, we can see you know, most of these players and, and how they're going to affect the pace of the team. Obviously, uh, in my mind, the smaller the lineup, the higher the total is going to go. So you, know, you get these teams like Houston out there, um, you know, teams that are starting to run um, these small ball, quote-unquote, death lineups more often. And when you see teams using those, uh, those are the type of things that I'm looking for. Uh, another one that I think that we'll be looking for that'll be fun on the totals is if Milwaukee uses Giannis at center there. That'll be a really quick, fast lineup. Yeah, that'll be really interesting. I've actually liked um, some of the scrimmages, and maybe let's talk about those a little bit. I mean, the Denver Nuggets, I think, have made the most interesting lineup changes. Uh, they went huge that first game. I'm trying to remember. It was Jokic, Bol Bol. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Basically, everybody was six foot ten or taller. Millsap, Millsap Jeremiah was Grant, on there. Jeremiah Grant, and can't remember who the fifth guy was. It wasn't um, a Plumley, was it? It anyway, probably was. <laughs> I think it was. I mean, so what do you guys think about stuff like that? Um, do you think we'll actually see them use lineups like that? Um, you know, actually, maybe screw it. Let's just talk about Bull Bull. I mean, he's been probably the most thing, fun thing that's come out of these scrimmages. So, you know, maybe it's kind of a two-part question. I'll start with you, Spread. You know, what have you thought about Denver using some of these big lineups, you know, kind of more point Jokic? I mean, Jokic comes back. It looks like he's lost, I don't know, 50 pounds um, if he's lost a pound at this point. So, you know, Spread, what do you think? Have you gotten a chance to watch a lot of that? Do you think we'll continue to see it? And, you know, what do you think of Bull Bull? Well, it's obviously I think it's the natural um, reaction um, to the prevalence of small lineups. And so what you're seeing is, is these teams go small, teams that know they can't counter with an efficient small lineup. Like, for example, Denver's not ever going to really be able to run uh, an efficient small lineup uh, without 
taking Jokic out of the game. So that's just not an option. Um, so now we have to look at other ways to counter it. Uh, the Lakers are another team that have tried to do that as well, that have tried to keep Davis at power forward, which make, makes them one of the biggest lineups in the league. But their idea is we're not going to um, let you dictate how how the, this game goes. We're going to dictate. And, and, you know, we're not going to just automatically take out Dwight Howard when you go small. Um, so I think that it would be interesting, and I like that these coaches are trying to do that. I think we're going to see more of it as teams realize, like, well, hey, if they go small, we our five small guys can't compete, <laughs> so we need to go big to try and hammer it. And one other thing about Bulbul, it's been so fun and so exciting, and I think I tweeted a couple of videos of him out uh, getting blocks and draining threes. But I think that is one where we are going to see the scrimmage intensity uh, change, and I don't know how effective he's going to be. Um, even in the eight-game regular season or in the playoffs at all. I think that that might be one of the uh, the scrimmage uh, stars that, that we might not see develop for the next couple of years. I'm not really too excited about him making an impact here, Yeah. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun for fans. I keep thinking about the first time Kawhi Leonard takes a look at him, and he walks <laughs> out, and he gets two inches from his face and basically looks at him and decides he's not going to score and, and see how kind of that goes. Um, you know, Drew, what have you seen in terms of creative lineups? You know, we've had the Nuggets. We've had the Sixers moving Ben Simmons around. Um, I was waiting to talk about that, but I'm, I'm going to let you give a, give a shout-out <laughs> first. And then if you have any other thoughts to add about uh, Mr. Bull and, uh, you know, really whether you like Incredible or Unbelievable. I think those are the <laughs> oh, un- Unbelievable for sure, yeah. Because then you get to use the Biggie song. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it. Um, the, uh, I guess I give, I, I am thankful that the coaches are not, um, you know, didn't waste their time. Uh, I think a lot of people probably wasted the time during the pandemic. Be like, oh, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and I'm going to get so much better at this, this, and this, right? And well, here now, four months later, what have you done? Well, not much, but uh, that's kind of speaking to me personally. But the, uh, the <laughs> coaches at least have kind of taken <laughs> – some serious, you know, some some serious time and gotten creative. Um, and is it going to help you win a playoff series if you're Mike Malone and the Denver Nuggets? Maybe not. But at least now you have you have a, a, a joker you can, you know, a, a second joker, I guess, you can play uh, that is going to be potentially tough for someone to prepare for. Um, you have an adjustment that could put some team on their heels if you are, you know, if, if you are uh, you know, struggling in a playoff series and you want to try something different. Um, I don't think having multiple looks, having, uh, you know, variable, um, uh, you know, kind of designed, uh, offensive attacks is ever a bad thing. Uh, you don't want to be a one note team. Um, and you know, this idea of an especially, uh, you know, big lineup, um, I mean, that's going to be a fantastic potential matchup against the likes of the Rockets at some point if we get that as a playoff series. Um, I'm kind of torn between do we want to see the Rockets draw the Nuggets in round one and have the potential for this big, small clash, uh, or do we want to see the Rockets up against the Thunder so we can see, uh, uh, you know, Paul Chris Paul against Houston and uh, Russell Westbrook against the, uh, uh, the Thunder. So it's a, it's a little – I'm a little torn. Um, but uh, I would say in general with the coaches, um, you know, experimenting and, and adding new dimensions to their lineup, uh, I think is exciting for basketball overall. It's really great to see such creativity, especially I think we're probably less a year 
less than a year or so removed from every person that I know that's older than 40 years old telling me this is all they're ever going to have. A bunch of people just shooting three-pointers all the time and no one's ever going to do anything. It's just a running around. It's terrible. And it all looks the same and, and it's not. It's, it's unbelievable how much variation you have. Like you said, if you get that first round series, Denver versus Houston, uh, I can't think of two wildly different approaches to the game in terms of the way they've constructed that roster and, and what each coach is trying to do. So it is a lot of fun, and um, I can't believe that Brett Brown has figured this out. I'm just going to go. I was hoping that Brett <laughs> would start, maybe, but it's, I think it's time. I mean, I, I can't believe this. I actually tweeted something not mean about Brett Brown the other day. I've been talking about it in messages, not negatively. I mean, it's I can't imagine the amount of times that Spread has had to listen to me talk about how they should use Ben Simmons as a power forward or even a center, and how they need to just make sure that Horford, Embiid, and Simmons are not on the floor at the same time unless you know, you're playing the Nuggets or something goofy like that. Um, it's just great to see. Um, you know, like you said, Drew, I certainly didn't maximize my quarantine time. How does Spread's been doing a good job? He seems to just have spent all his time wandering around on mountains. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty much true. <laughs> you know, it's good to see Brett Browns and making good use of his time. So, you know, as we jump into the restart here. Um, well, hold at, on. We need ahead. to finish this off because I've been waiting here and I didn't want to jump straight okay. into it. But right. what are your, I know you didn't have much expectations for the Sixers before. Ben Simmons at power forward seems like a good idea. Um, are your expectations higher for this team now? They are just in that I, I think that I now know that they're not going to do the same thing that they've been doing for the last two years. I mean, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And I figured we'd roll into the playoffs this year with essentially the same thing we tried to do last year. Just, you know, Al Horford instead of Jimmy Butler, basically, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, just to see them, you know, trying something different and engaging in it to watch Ben Simmons try to shoot three pointers. I mean, to try to shoot pull-ups, I mean, they don't look good. I think that's similar to what you see from Bull Bull when they get into real defensive situations. If teams want to take away the Ben Simmons three-pointer, um, they won't be losing much in terms of lane coverage. It takes them quite a bit of time to get the ball um, up and through his release. But I am a lot more optimistic. I mean, as you start to look at, you know, what I was going to line up here quickly was, as I start to look at the futures odds, I've got bet online here, and I took the odds of the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Bucks, put them together. They're 240 for the Lakers, 325 for the Bucks and the Clippers. And without cheating, can either one of you tell me, you know, what the combined implied probability of those three prices are? Oh, boy. Uh, 240 about 95%. I'm only getting 76%. Ah. Which I thought was really interesting. Rusty. So the minus 135 close? <laughs> um, no. Uh, well, actually, I don't know. What is minus 135? No, it's not. Minus 135 is not. It's It's got to be about minus 270. Minus oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, either way, I was curious that those three teams were only 76%. I wish that I'd done a better job of compiling futures earlier because I bet, like you said, well, if you went and looked like a month or so ago, that number would have been in the high 80s or low 90s. So I think the market is reflecting a lot of variance. And I think in a world in which you have increased injury possibilities, um, you know, not just from COVID, frankly, from the less re the lower recovery time and the fact that they're all back. I mean, just like at the beginning of the season, I think we'll start to see some, you know, a lot of soft um, muscle injuries and soft tissue injuries, if you will. I'm looking at the Sixers right now at 18 to 1. I don't know if I necessarily love that price, but as a fan, I feel a lot more optimistic spread than I did before the uh, before the break. 
Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think they're definitely the, the feast or famine team. I think they could make it to the finals or just look terrible in the first round, and then you finally get that coaching change you want. I'm going to be watching. I was going to say it's good that the market does reflect that because we've taken away the home court advantage, right? So mm. in any given series, um, you know, if you had four games where you had an extra 8% win probability, that – you know that trickles into you're going to win the title more often, um, so it's uh, it's good that you know we have seen that adjustment uh, um, you know come down in terms of total total probability of that those three teams. Let me see quickly what I have to do to get right around a hundred. So if I take the Lakers, Clippers, Bucks, Celtics, Rockets, Sixers, and Raptors, and I put all them together, then I get to just about a hundred percent. But again, it was interesting to see in those prices kind of the variability. Um, you know, have either of you started to look at some of the futures markets at all? I know that things are kind of shifting around, and it's definitely something I plan on following through the eight games. Again, not even just as a Sixers fan. Right now, I'm seeing them plus 750 to win the East. I still don't see them as a team that's going to be able to beat the Lakers or the Clippers if they're healthy in the finals. I mean, I think they'll be competitive and have a chance, but I'm looking at them more to win the East, and I wonder if they can get to nine or even ten for some reason. That would be really nice. Um, have either one of you, again, taken any look at some of the futures prices lately or do you have any thoughts on maybe some angles as we get closer and closer to this final eight i've done a little bit of dabbling in the futures market so far um i got down on that uh the um odds booster four to one uh exact uh, finals bucks lakers just because mm. you know just once we saw the couple of exhibition games and once it was clear that both lebron and Giannis are in like you know the best shape of you know, their recent lives, um, it seems likely to be, you know, those are clearly your two best players and you know, cream tends to rise to the top. And, uh, you have, uh, you have this kind of playoff, um, you know, uh, these series are going to be so even, it's going to come down to end a game. Uh, I don't think you can really numerically capture how good LeBron James is in those scenarios, how much experience he has, how, uh, you know how good he's going to be, um, and it really may be that tight in the West. Um, that said, I think the the current prices for the Lakers to win the title overall are kind of insane. Um, there is a massive, massive tax on the Lakers in that number. Absolutely. Um, there's no way you can tell me that the Western Conference isn't a substantially harder path to get to the finals than this. Um, I think the Bucks are a slight, slightly undervalued still in the East. Um, when I kind of go through my entire sim, uh, I have them at winning the East. Let me see here. 67% of the time. So my fair price on them is minus 206 to win the East. Yeah, they're minus <laughs> 155 at bet online right now. Now, if Philly ends up in the sixth seed, which isn't super likely, but if they do, um, then that goes even higher because they'll, you know, now Milwaukee's potentially only has to play one of Toronto and Boston and Philly. Um, fair price is closer to minus 250. Uh, so I do, um, I don't know what I'm going to do with that information. I haven't made any pretty, any serious bets. I have some existing tickets preseason uh, at a lot better number on Milwaukee and my first inclination was, well, great, I got screwed here because they don't have home court anymore. 
Um, but I think I've kind of talked myself all the way back around to they still have the best player in the league, they still have the deepest roster, um, and they have by far the easiest path to get to the finals of any team. So uh, I think uh, the Bucks still are and deserve to be the class of the East. And uh, there's remarkably, there's still value on their number to both uh, win the East and win the title, in my opinion. I think you're right about that. I, I need to go through and check a few things. I haven't probably built in enough, you know, variance yet for how wacky this is going to be. But I agree. I'm looking at the minus 155 there. That looks like some value there. And if I was probably to make myself these futures odds, you're right. There's no reason the Lakers and Clippers shouldn't be the same price, and the Bucks should probably be the same price, if not a little bit better, like you said, given how easy their path is. What do you think about all this spread? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you guys on the the big three, and so my way that I was looking was trying to find one of these long shots. You know, uh, as a group last year, we had a lot of fun with the Toronto Raptors long shot. Um, and so that was yeah. kind of where I was looking. Now, I haven't honed in on one that I really want to invest in yet. And the one that I keep hovering over that I have not done yet is Houston. And so I'd say my reasons for Houston, I think that Harden, if we only judge players on the offensive side, it would be considered, you know, with the best players in the league. I think he's up there with Giannis, LeBron, Kawhi, when we're just talking offense, maybe the best, you know, arguably the best just on offense. Um, you add that to Westbrook and just their ability to kind of confuse teams uh, with the smaller lineup that we haven't really seen before. And we saw how they pretty much destroyed the Lakers in that one game in L.A. when they first debuted the small lineup. Uh, and the Lakers tried to go really big against them. So I, I do think that they have, like, the ability to create matchups that are tough for other teams. The reason I have not hit submit on – oh, and also Harden being rested. Uh, we also know that he's gotten tired in these playoff series as he's played, you know, 39, 40 minutes the whole regular season, and he seems to fatigue uh, as these series go on. Uh, if for anyone, I can't imagine who this two-month break helps more uh, than James Harden. The reason I haven't hit submit, though – is I don't like the fact that they'd most likely have to beat the Clippers and the Lakers. If there's a scenario where they only had to beat one of them, I think I might take my chance on that plus 700 for them to win the title. Uh, but just having to go through both those teams I just think is too much. Um, but I'm definitely keeping an eye on Houston, and I think they're my favorite like quote-unquote long-shot team right now. I think that's mm -hmm. plus 700 to win the West Red. Yeah. Okay. You said to win the titles. That was about four. I'm looking at 14 to one there, and actually you can get eight to one. I like what you said. Houston's interesting, but uh, again, you make a great point. They, if they have to play both Los Angeles teams, that's going to be murder. I mean, the Clippers are yeah. built to beat a team like that, and I think the Lakers, once the game slows down a little bit, um, what do you think, Drew? Do you see any value in any long shots? You know, when, when you run some of the numbers, I, uh, are there any teams that I pop actually, up a little more than you expected? Think, well, um, Again, you know, I think the most likely outcome for sure is that we see Bucks Lakers final. Um, but the West is wide; it's wide open. It really is. I think right now, as it constitutes, there are seven teams that have some reasonable chance to win the title. I'd say by reasonable, I just mean like in the ballpark of at least five percent. Uh, I would even put the Mavericks and the Thunder in that conversation, where they should, you know, they should be kind of in the. Um, you know, shorter than 20 to 1 to win the West, for sure. Um, and I guess not 5% to win the title, but 5% to win the West. Um, and I would kind of say that over the last couple of days, having seen a little bit of the, um, the preseason action here, I'm starting to develop a little bit of a case of wanting to be against the Clippers in some way in the West. Um, and 
you know, with every playoff series, it's pretty important and clear that, you know, matchups kind of control, right? Like the Clippers match up well against some teams for sure. And if they happen to draw the right two, seven matchup, then, you know, they haven't, they have pretty much, uh, you know, a straightforward path and likely draw what Denver in the, in the two, three matchup, which is pretty good for them. Um, And so, you know, it's not a great, it's not a strong angle necessarily. Um, but I got a funny feeling that number one, uh, we haven't really seen, I guess, of all of the superstar players who we've seen, uh, you know, take, take a little bit of, uh, you know, real game action. I've been the least impressed with Kawhi. Uh, and mm. I've always kind of considered him a guy that builds into his final form. Um, it takes him a little longer, I think, because I think a lot of his, uh, you know, what he does well is you know, he's a tactician. He's, uh, you know, he's a hard worker. He, you know, he crafts his game and tries to peak at the right time. And I suspect that a lot, like, this is not a great setup for him to be his best. Um, and so I'm a little gun shy saying, you know, you're going to get the same quiet in this year's playoffs that we had in last year's playoffs, for instance. Um, on top of that, Paul George is a guy that I've never found is kind of the difference maker in a playoff series. Uh, he has a tendency to disappear in those super, super big games. Uh, and I don't know that this setting necessarily changes that. Um, but even beyond just kind of the top two guys and some questions I have about them and their potential to perform here, the Clippers are really lacking depth. Like, and I know it's not important to consider depth as like a first order impact for playoffs because the bench gets shorter and, you know, these guys have had a lot of time off. They're not as exhausted. Um, but who is on this second unit that, you know, really strikes fear in you from either an offensive or defensive standpoint? I know Lou Williams is capable of scoring with ease, um, you know, and he can ignite, uh, you know, he could ignite your second unit. But, uh, you know, they are relatively lean in what they gave up to get. Uh, Paul George and Kawhi together there. Uh, and on top of that, guys like Shamit, Beverly, Harrell, um, they're still, you know, we haven't seen them uh, get real game action. Um, I don't know which of those guys is like legitimately struggling with recovering from COVID and which of those guys is going to be fine. Um, but the fact that you potentially have sort of the uh, leanest roster uh, in terms of contributing players across a really, really tough Western conference has got me thinking twice about the Clippers being realistic contenders to win the West. All right. Now, to be perfectly honest, I couldn't actually feel more opposite. Um, ah, I see. I actually wow, like good. the Clippers bench better than the Lakers. So I'm looking at the depth chart right now. Now, there's a huge caveat, right? Most of the Clippers at this point are either we haven't seen them, they're outside the bubble, they're in quarantine, you know, we know that we have Paul George. We know we have Kawhi Leonard. I know Marcus Morris has been playing. Um, we haven't seen Beverly yet. We haven't seen Lou Williams, obviously, because he needed to get chicken wings. Um, <laughs> haven't seen Shamit. Haven't seen Harold. But um, Reggie Jackson has been playing. I know Zubach has been playing. Um, but when you start to look at, you know, again, that list of guys, when I look at the Clippers, you know, their starting lineup again will probably be Beverly, George, Kawhi, Marcus Morris, and Zubach. I have no reason to believe that that won't be the starting lineup. I think that whatever's going on with Beverly, I expect him to get there. So then your bench becomes Reggie Jackson, Lou Williams, hopefully, Landry Shamit, Jermichael Green, and Montrez Harrell. 
When you start to look at the Lakers, they're going to start LeBron, probably Pope, Green, Anthony Davis, and McGee. And then coming off the bench, you've got Caruso, Danny Green, Kyle Kuzma, Markeith Morris, and Dwight Howard. I mean, what is Alex Caruso going to do on the floor in real playoff minutes? Um, we know Danny Green's very good. Kyle Kuzma's pretty good. Uh, Markeith Morris is solid. But when I start to look at the Clippers, you know, what Montrez Harrell can do if he's you know, up and playing it again. The huge caveat being, right, that everybody actually is showing up and playing. But um, mm-hmm. I actually think that, you know, because the Clippers are kind of taking their time, and what you said about Kawhi was interesting because you're right, it is going to be clunky. But I, what I actually thought uh, about that was that maybe it's an advantage for him because he's used to that clunkiness, right? He's gone through that experience of having to ramp himself up and having to do all that. And a lot of these guys aren't familiar with that. But all right, Spread, we'll let you be the tiebreaker then. I want the Clippers. Drew is obviously all over the Lakers here. Maybe one, it's just one a real quick One real quick note, uh, rebuttal to the rebuttal. Rebuttal to rebuttal. Uh, Marcus Morris, his wife, is going to go into labor at some point in late August. Uh, That's not good. And, and he's gone. Um, so that, that, that one I know pretty confidently that they could be without him when, it, when the going gets tough. Um, and I guess... Where I where I where I am concerned is if Kawhi hasn't ramped himself up to kind of the peak of his powers, um, that two seven matchup could be dangerous for them. If they draw the likes of the Mavericks, if you got fresh legs and you know some of the young stars on the Mavs, uh, if you got uh, uh, the Thunder in that spot, who is now weirdly the deepest team in the Western Conference, um, you know that that could be a dangerous two seven matchup for them uh, if they're without Morris if. Carroll, you know, is, isn't up to 100% after recovering from COVID. If, uh, you know, if, if Shamit and or Beverly, uh, you know, we don't see them for a little while. And, you know, that, I guess so I guess that's really where I'm coming from, which is I think other some other teams are going to have basically a 95-ish percent probability of getting to the second round. And I think the Clippers might be one that weirdly is like 75 or 80 uh, and, you know, could be vulnerable. Yeah, I guess I'm just hoping that over the next two weeks, again, we've got the eight games, so it's about another two weeks before we get to the playoffs that things will settle out. But we'll let you be the tiebreaker spread. What do you think, Clippers or Lakers? Uh, I'm going Clippers, but I want to point out something that you said. You weren't worried about Caruso. Caruso, actually, if you just take the two players together, LeBron and Caruso have a plus 9.1 net rating together. Small sample size, uh, to be fair, but <laughs> that's his highest net rating with any other teammate. Uh, on the team, including Anthony Davis. So for whatever reason, he fits in well with LeBron. Um, but that being said, I just wanted to point that out because I, I heard you kind of not uh, too happy about Caruso. I do. I am a Clippers believer as well. I think that at this point in their careers, uh, I think LeBron still got it on the offensive end. I'm a little worried about his ability to ramp it up defensively. And I think that Leonard's going to be able to put the clamps on uh, regardless, Ooh. even if he's not there. Um, on the offensive end. I think they have more teammates to pick up a poor offensive game uh, for Leonard, whereas I think a poor offensive game for LeBron sinks them. And just because of their ability to defend, I'm leaning the Clippers. But I also want to qualify this with, I haven't put any money down either way. Um, this isn't one of my strongest uh, opinions or takes, you know, so to say. Uh, I really think it's about as close to a 50-50 matchup as you can get. And um, I'm so confident now that the bubble's done well so far. Um, the ratings, the fan excitement, and, and 
and how much it's going to help the NBA that, that what we expect this eventual Western Conference Finals matchup to be is just going to be fantastic, so I can't wait. I love it. It is going to be pretty good. I'm going to have to spend some time. I wasn't clicking quick enough to pull up a bunch of players on that Caruso nonsense. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping that over the next two weeks, the Clippers are going to be able to build to it. Either way, I think it's fantastic. But I think, Drew, you, you make a great point. The Lakers, they've got LeBron James. They've got Anthony Davis. It's two of the five best players in the world. But as you're starting to look at places to put your money from a futures perspective, they may be a little overpriced. And I agree. I think the Bucks are underpriced. Spread, what did you think about um, Drew's points around the Bucks? And, you know, again, as you start to look at their odds, you know, only minus 155 to win the East when, you know, again, if everyone's healthy, they're going to be pretty big favorites in seven-game series against any of these teams. Yeah, I almost feel like I'm flip-flopping from our previous conversation uh, on the last pod. Um, but since our last conversation, I'm actually becoming more concerned um, you know, you were talking about Budenholzer, and this actually might have been on the bottom, it might have just been our DMs, but uh, Budenholzer not really necessarily proving himself a- as a playoff coach, and-, and looking into that a little bit more, it seems to be because of the fact that he doesn't vary his rotations very much, he's very much, he wants to dictate, he's not going to be dictated to, but as a result, that can make him kind of predictable, uh, which gives other superior coaches a chance to match up well because they can predict the minutes that Giannis isn't going to be on the floor. Uh, The next thing for Giannis is he has struggled against that zone uh, that the Raptors used against him in the ECF last year and that Miami used to them uh, with some success. I think that uh, Philadelphia can deploy it pretty well. Um, Boston I'm not so sure about, but Toronto, Philly, and Miami all have a chance to deploy that zone and give Giannis some trouble. So, I mean, this is going to be a huge referendum on mainly Giannis, but also for our conversation on Budenholzer as well because, um, you know, obviously it is set up, right? It is a clear path for them. They should make it. Uh, But if they don't, we're going to be asking a lot of questions about, number one, uh, Giannis's ability to lead in the playoffs when all eyes are on him and teams can specifically scheme for up to two days at a time in between games uh, to stop them, and also Budenholzer's ability to adjust, make playoff adjustments, and not be so predictable that these better coaches um, can go ahead and outcoach them and give their team an advantage. Now, I know, Whale, I think we're losing you here in just about a minute or so. Any final thoughts or questions for us um, before you wrap up and jump on to the next thing? Yeah, the spread brought up a lot of great points. Um, I just think the depth is going to be too much for any of these other teams to... Uh, to counter the second unit for the Bucks is just so lethal. They can absolutely fill it up. And mm-hmm. uh, but you know, the in the back of my mind, am I terrified uh, going to war with a coach like uh, Budenholzer? Yes, <laughs> it's not. It does not feel good. Um, I think he's probably. You know, I think gen- we're being generous to say he's maybe the fourth uh, best coach of these teams in the East. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I, I you know keep. He has, he has something to prove in terms of game-to-game adjustments uh, and kind of you know thinking outside the box. So I'm very hopeful that uh, this is the year for him. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, Giannis is, Giannis is unstoppable. <laughs> he really is, especially if he keeps hitting those pull-up threes. Well, thanks, Will, yeah. for joining us. Um, we'll try to have you back on again one time, at least before the playoffs and probably another time before then. But, um, you know, let us wait. know if you want to talk to NBA. We're always around. Um, check out Cannot Will. wait. He's got the Deep Dive podcast, of course, for NFL, but he's also doing the Daily Bubble uh, with Frank and Whale. Um, I can't see. Now, I know that's a preview show. I believe that's a podcast. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that before you jump off?
Love it. That sounds great. I know that either one of us would be happy to join if you need us. But until then, have a great rest of your day, and uh, Spread Now will continue. Yeah. Until next yeah, time. Thanks for coming on, Whale. And uh, good luck in all your wagers. That's right.